numbers. Uh, when, when the first airplane plane hit on September 11th, there were 14,000 people in the Twin Towers. Of those 14,000 people, over 11,000 survived. We had 2,749 who didn't make it, which is tragic and awful, but, but it blows my mind that over 11,000 did make it out. That, that's an incredible, incredible story. Um, and, and there was a book that was written a few years back called 102 Minutes, The Untold Story of the Fight to Survive Inside the Twin Towers, and has some, some incredible stories of, of those who made it and, and of some who did not. And one of the, the chapters that, that I thought was most interesting tells a story of an office uh, and, and inside this office, the, the first plane hit, and everybody rushed out of the office, and, and they went out in two groups. One group chose the door to the elevator, and, and the smaller group, in fact, a much smaller group, chose the door to the stairs. Everybody who got on the elevator died. Everybody who took the stairs survived. So a literal example of a very deep spiritual truth, that our destiny, our life, in fact, is going to be determined by which door we choose. We're in a series here at City Church called I Am, where we're studying the I Am statements of Jesus. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus makes a statement where he says, I am, and then he follows that up with, with a metaphor, with an illustration of how he operates in our life. Two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus is the bread of life, how he nourishes us and sustains us. Last week, we saw how Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for a sheep. In fact, last, last week, um, I forgot to tell you here in second service that the sheep is actually the animal that's featured in the Bible more than any other animal. Um, in fact, significantly more. It's two, over 200 times in Scripture we see the sheep mentioned. And so sheep are, are very central to the, the Jewish culture that Jesus was ministering in. And in John chapter 10, if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. We find this statement that I am the good shepherd, which we read last week. But actually, before he even gets to that point, he makes another I am statement, which we're going to look at today. Before we get there, though, I, I want to share with you uh, a quote from UCLA psychologist and professor James C. Coleman. James C. Coleman was, was studying the psyche of, of modern Americans uh, and, and really modern man worldwide and, and really those in the first world with all the technology and all the advances that we have. And here's what he said about our struggles. He said, with the baffling question of his own existence, science falls short of providing full answers. It can tell us how, but it cannot tell us why? Mr. Coleman then made this observation. He said, with the advent of the space age, man is confronted with a new perspective of time and space. And the problem of finding the meaning of his own existence in a universe in which the earth and even the whole solar system may be no larger in relation to the whole than an atom is to the earth. In other words, he says, as we discover the earth is, or the universe is bigger and bigger than we ever realized, as our, our knowledge of the universe begins to expand, we begin to realize that we're even less significant than we thought. Um, NASA scientists refer to planet Earth as the, the pale blue dot. If you send, look at the, the pictures of the Hubble telescope as it gets further and further away from Earth and takes pictures back of us, Earth gets smaller and smaller to the point that it now appears in the photographs as just a little pale blue dot. And in the mass of God's creation, Earth is so insignificant. And then there's 7 billion of us on this earth. And so when you look at it, we become to feel even less significant. And so he says, even with all the technological advances, we begin to realize how small we are. Then he goes on to say, at the same time, materialistic values based on the belief that scientific progress would automatically lead to man's happiness and fulfillment prove sadly disillusioning. As a result, many people are groping about bewildered and bitter. You think that's true? Many people are groping about bewildered and bitter. I, I see that. 
all the time. Um, unable to find any enduring faith or to develop a satisfying philosophy of life. In other words, significance. Despite their fine automobiles, their well-stocked refrigerators, and other material possessions and comforts, the meaning of life seems to be evading them. In essence, they are suffering from existential anxiety, deep concern about finding values which will enable them to live satisfying, fulfilling, meaningful, significant lives. What, what is he saying? I know that's a lot of words, and it's very academic, and maybe that's uh, uh, above our normal vocabulary, but, but essentially what he's saying is this. As technology makes our lives easier and easier and more convenient and gives us more pleasures, what we're not finding is people are not getting happier. Despite the fact we have better phones and better automobiles and better houses and better stuff, despite the fact that the video games that kids play today are 30 times better than the video games that we played when I was a kid, Kids today aren't happier than we were as kids. In fact, most of the time, the inverse is actually true, that, that, that we're finding more depression, more discouragement, more emptiness, more lack, despite the fact that if you look at it comparatively from 50 years ago, we should be significantly happier. What's that tell us? Well, life is not found in our possessions. It's not found in technology, that this life of, of pursuing material goods does not bring us to security and significance the way that we had hoped it would. Here's the good news. Nobody understands you better than God. Nobody understands the deep desires that you have in your heart for fulfillment more than he does. And nobody knows how to give it to you more than he does. In fact, nobody else knows the answer at all outside of him. So in John chapter 10, Jesus makes this statement. In the NIV, he says, I am the gate. We've been studying the NIV for most of our statements, but we're going we're gonna to shift gears today and switch over to the ESV because a lot of translations actually interpret that as, I am the door. Now, a gate and a door are essentially the same thing, but I think we have a lot more interaction with doors than we do with gates. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to phrase it in a way that I think is going to be more relatable to us. So we're going to switch over to the ESV where, where that is translated as, I am the door. In fact, in John chapter 10, starting in verse 7, we'll see him say this multiple times. It says, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Everybody say, I am the door. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Then he says it again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, his listeners would have understood this statement in a way that you and I don't naturally understand it. In fact, I'll, I'll be very real with you. When we were putting this series together and deciding to study these seven statements, um, this was the one I was looking forward to by far the least. I was like, okay, it's cool that he's the good shepherd. It's amazing that he's the bread of life. I love that he's the way and the truth and the life. I, I love that he's the light of the world. I love all these statements, but, but I'm the gate. I'm the door. Like, that just doesn't fire me up the way that some of these do, right? Like just being very transparent and honest. And the reason why I wasn't as excited is I didn't understand the depth of what he was saying. Uh, so here's what Jesus was saying. Here's what his hearers would have understood that, that we don't. In, in that day and, a, and in fact, even st still today in rural parts of the Middle East, the way that they would build a, a sheep pen, a sheep fold, is they would take rocks and they'd stack the rocks up and they'd build a wall down one side and a wall down the back and a wall down the other side, and then the front wall they would bring together, except they'd leave a gap of about five and a half feet at the front wall. And that was the door. They didn't put a door on. They didn't put a gate on. They didn't have access to those kind of materials to have a door. And so what they would do is they would take the sheep out in the morning, and, and the sheep would go out and find pasture, and they would drink, and they'd enjoy the, the day. But at the end of the day, the shepherd would bring them back to the pen. He'd bring them into the pen, into the sheepfold, and then the shepherd 
would lay down in the gap in the front. He would literally become the door. Nothing could get in to harm the sheep unless it went through the shepherd, and nothing could get out of the fold unless it went through the shepherd. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the door for my sheep. If you're part of my flock, if you're in my fold, nothing's getting to you unless it comes through me. If you're listening to my voice, if you're obeying me as shepherd, nothing can harm you because it has to go through me first. And you're not going to get out and wander off. You're not going to get out and stray. You're not going to get out and get lost and get harmed because you're not coming out through me. You're only coming out to follow me. When you listen to my voice, when you hear my voice and you respond to me, this is what happens. This is the declaration Jesus is making when he says, I am the door. A shepherd would literally lay down his life physically lay down for his sheep. He's obviously giving some foreshadowing of of the life that he was going to lay down, the death he was going to to experience for you and for me. So I can tell you this morning, this is not my least favorite message in this series. I'm excited that Jesus is the door for me and for you. So let's ask the question, why is he referring to himself as the door, apart from the fact that, that he's implying his protection uh what is he trying to get at well if we look at a physical door if you look at the doors that you interact with every day whether that's the car door whether that's the bedroom door or or the front door or the door to your office or your workplace uh there's pretty much only two things that can happen with a door right use a door to exit somewhere and use a door to enter somewhere else they're pretty much the same right like it happens simultaneously we have a sign right here that says exit that's our emergency fire exit if for whatever reason we had an emergency in here and we had to get out quickly you could go out that door and now it says exit but it could just as easily say entrance right because you're leaving one place and entering another any door functions in those two ways so when Jesus declares that he's the door he's telling you I'm the way for you to exit something and I'm the way for you to enter something So the first thing I want you to see today is that through Jesus, you can exit a meaningless life. The modern life that feels so empty, that feels so meaningless, that that, that struggles to find purpose. Jesus says, I'm the door. And through me, if you come through me, I will show you how to exit that meaningless life. If we go back to those people in the Twin Towers on September 11th in that office. As the planes hit, now you've got smoke everywhere. You've got debris floating through the air. You've got alarms going off, and you're choking on the dust. There's, there's noise and chaos and, and hysteria everywhere. And they come out of the office, and they have two choices. They can choose the elevator door. Now think of this. Which one do you think they chose on a daily basis? If they're like you and me, they chose the elevator door pretty much every day, right? Like they're up on the 15th floor. They're not taking the stairs. They're taking the elevator as a rule, right? So they they chose the door that was familiar, the door that was comfortable, the door that was natural for them to use, rather than the door that was uncomfortable, rather than the door that was unfamiliar, rather than the door that maybe they had never seen the other side of before. Isn't that what we do so often in life? Jesus says that, that wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way to life, and few are those who find it. We, we oftentimes choose the default door, the easy door, the convenient door, the door that, that involves you know, using less energy. The elevator is a whole lot easier to take than the stairs. But where was life for them? Life was found in the other door. Life was found in the door that not as many people wanted to take. Life was found in the door that, that led somewhere they had never seen before, and they didn't really know what it looked like. Jesus says, I am the door. If you come through me, you can exit a meaningless life. 
Life is just like this. Every single day, we're choosing doors. Every single day, we, we're presented the seven billion of us on this pale blue dot called earth. We choose which door to walk through. Are we choosing this door of, of this relationship? Are we choosing the door of having children? Are we choosing the door of, of spending this money or taking this loan? Are we choosing the door of this college major or that school to attend or this career to pursue or that job to take? Every day, we face doors. If you're married, you chose one specific door to walk through. If you think about it, if there's 7 billion people on planet Earth, there's just about 3.5 billion of, of the opposite gender. So you had 3.5 potential do- billion potential doors you could walk through, and you chose one. So you can romance your wife tonight and just look her in the eyes and say, you're my door, baby. See, to, like, get back to me. Let me know how that worked out for you. Uh, but, but you chose that one door out of all the doors to walk through. You chose this one. This is the one I want to explore. This is the one I want to find out where it can lead to. This is the one that I think is going to bring me to happiness and to peace and fulfillment. My my wife, Melody, and I, we have two kids. So that means that we chose the door of of having kids, not just once, but we had a kid, and then we decided, hey, let's do it again. And sometimes we look at each other and we're like, what the heck were we thinking? What what do we get ourselves into? What are we doing with life? Yesterday, uh, we we were going to bring Judah, or I was going to bring Judah to the the Trolls movie night that Kid City was putting on the family night. And so Judah started getting sleepy about 3.30, and we were going to leave in about an hour. And so I decided, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and put him down for a nap. But I'll change his clothes first. That way he's ready to go as soon as we get him up, and maybe he can just sleep in the truck on the way out there. So, so we put him down, and of course, don't you know it, he has a, a, what we call in our house a poop explosion. Uh, so, so he has this poop explosion. So we, get, we open the door, and there's just poop everywhere in his bedroom. And it's all over him, and so we got to, like, throw him in the bathtub and give him a quick bath. And, and so I wasted an outfit, and I had put this outfit on him for an hour for him to poop all over it. So I had to get a new outfit for him to, to bring him to the movie night. But, but we chose the door, right? It's like, okay, we chose this. We wanted to have kids. We wanted to clean poop off of curtains and and rugs and and dressers we didn't know that's what we were choosing but that's what we chose that was behind the door that we opened to having that child and and he brings so much joy and many other things but but he also brings poop explosions uh so if you talk to any business leader or business owner if you talk to to anyone who's successful in marriage or 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 anybody who's received who's achieved a level of success in whatever thing it is that you aspire to whether it's music or the arts or or whatever it may be they're going to tell you that the reason they ended up at the place they did is they chose a series of correct doors day after day they got to that place because they chose the right door on the other hand right now there's a, a young man in Mississippi, who used to be in my youth ministry, who's in prison because he chose a very wrong door. He made a very bad decision, and, and, and praise God, he's going to be out soon. Praise God. I, I believe that he knows Jesus. I believe that, that he chose the best door, even though he's made some other bad decisions, and that God's still got a plan and a purpose for his life, and God's going to do great things through him, but he ended up in a bad place because he chose a bad door. He, he lost months, in fact, years of his life because of a very bad decision. And he's at a place where there's other young men in the same place with him who, who may never see freedom again, who may never get out because they chose some extremely bad doors with their life. You see, I, I believe very strongly that, that life is choice-driven. We live and we die by the choices we make. That's why Deuteronomy chapter 30, God says, choose this day. Bless, all right, he said, I set before you today life and death, blessing and curses. And then he says, choose life, that it may go well with you, that you may be blessed and your children may be blessed. I believe that that the doors that we choose are going to lead us one of two places. 
They're going to lead us to the place we want to go, or they're going to lead us to a, a place we do not want to go. There's many people today in, in miserable marriages because they walked through the wrong door. Maybe the wrong door of, of choosing the wrong person, or because they walked through the wrong door inside of their marriage and made some terrible decisions that, that harmed their marriage. There's nothing more devastating than to walk into a door that looks like life, that looks like prosperity, that looks like success, that looks like joy, and getting on the other side of that door and finding only emptiness, only heartbreak. There's nothing worse than, than finding out you chose the elevator when you should have chosen the stairs, when that's where life was. And so we have to be very careful about the doors that we choose to walk through in life. I spent so much of my, my life ministering to people and dealing with people who are trapped in a life of emptiness and, and a lack of significance because of the choices they have made. After saying he was the door for the sheep, Jesus makes this statement in verse 8. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Here's what I believe, church. I believe God wants every one of us to live a life of fulfillment and significance. That means you. I believe God wants you to live a life that, that is full of joy, that is full of peace, that, that is full of his very best. But many times, the enemy is out there. In fact, all the time, the enemy is out there presenting us with other doors. Because he's a thief and a robber. And he's just, he's holding the door. He's like, hey, come this way. Let me usher you into this. Let me show you what lies back here. And, and so many people have allowed that thief, that robber, to bring them through a wrong, a wrong door. Many have tried different doors. In fact, I brought some pictures to, to illustrate this. If you go ahead and put this up for us. Many ha have chosen this door. The man behind the door of money. That's a place where I can find success. Man, this job, I'm going to make more money. Man, this job's going to allow me to do these things and that thing. And, and we get into it and we find out, you know what? It wasn't what it was cracked up to be. I, I know multiple people in our church who took a job. And, and man, that job was awesome. It was a great raise and, and, and so much more things that it would provide for them. But what they didn't realize is that place was going to close down in a year and a half. In fact, I just spoke with somebody this morning. I said, How, how's life going? He said, man, my, my business... The place that I was working for just closed last month, and I'm looking for a job. Why? Because they chose a door that they didn't know what was on the other side of that door. I'm not saying he made a mistake by taking that career or, or taking that job, but many times we do. We pursue money thinking it's going to bring us happiness, and it always seems to come up empty. Go ahead and throw that next one up for us. So, so many of us choose this door, and this is a good door. Man, I'm thankful for family. I'm thankful for the blessings that God's brought me through my wife and through my kids. But, but you know what? You can't build your life on just that can't tell you how many people that I've seen who, who have built their life on their kids, built their life on their family, and, and the kids grow up and they leave the house, and, and now there's this epidemic of moms and dads who are divorcing because they get to that point and they realize we don't have anything in common anymore. The only thing that kept us together was the kids. They, they, they were the thing we had in common, and now that they're gone, we have nothing, and, and they thought they were investing their life in something good, and they were. Their kids are important. But they didn't build on the right foundation. That's a, that's a bonus. That's something extra that God has for us. It's not the thing that we build our life on. And so even family, even something that looks so good and seems so good on the outside can lead us to emptiness if that's what we pursue. Go ahead and throw that next door up for us. A lot of people build their life on, on pursuing the other side of this door. Man, I just want, I want power. I want influence. I want to be able to make the decisions. You know, uh, next not next week, but I think 10 days will be the, the fifth anniversary of when 
I became pastor here at City Church. And do you know how crazy it is, how much more I knew about being a pastor five years ago than I know today? Uh, man, when I, when I was the youth pastor and I was watching all the pastor's decisions, I knew everything we needed to do. I knew every answer to how we needed to grow and how we needed to reach more people and how we could build this thing. And now that I'm on the other side and the buck stops with me, it's like, wow, how much do I not know? See, sometimes we, we, we desire that power, we desire that authority, and we discover it's not what it was cracked up to be. Or maybe I'm not what I was cracked up to be. But, but any time that we build our life on that, we're going to find emptiness. we got one more picture for you. How many of us have sought something through this door? The pleasure door. Man, where, where we knew deep down inside, man, that's not God's best for me. Man, that's not honoring to God. That's not something that, that he would have me to do. But, but man, it looks fun. Man, it looks good. Man, it looks like something that I can enjoy. And, and the word of God says that sin is fun for a season. Many of us have experienced that season. I know that I have. I've tasted that season where sin was great. But you know what? That season always ends. And there's emptiness on the other side. There's despair on the other side. There, there, there's guilt and shame on the other side when we choose that door. And so Jesus says, I'm the door for you. Don't choose all these other doors. Don't build your life on power. Don't build it on pleasure. Don't build it on, on money. Don't even build it on family. Build it on me. Come through me, and there's going to be some great things on the other side for you. So many of us have walked through the wrong doors in life. Perhaps you're even at a place today where you're walking through some wrong doors in life. Here's the good news. It's never too late to exit that life because through Jesus, you can exit a meaningless life. That's why Jesus says in verse 9 of John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Look at what he's saying to, to anyone who comes to him, who chooses his door. First of all, he says you'll be saved. That, that means that you'll have a relationship with God that lasts forever, a relationship with him that never ends, that doesn't just mean that you're going to go to heaven one day. Oh, that's, a, that's a beautiful application of it. But I mean, starting right now, you're restored to relationship with God the Father, that you have, have a God who's with you in all things, in all moments, who's going to be there for you through the trials and the struggles of life. It's a, a beautiful, beautiful promise. He says, you come through me and you'll be saved. And then he says, that, and, and then you'll also be able to come in and go out and find pasture. Pasture for, for a sheep. That's where it's at. Man, it's green grass. That's the, that's the pleasure of life. That's the goodness of life. It's the place where they get to frolic and play and have freedom and, and enjoy one another's company. And Jesus says, man, if you come through me, you'll find that satisfaction. You'll find the things that matter most in life. And then verse 10, we saw this last week, but it comes right after that. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. And here in the ESV it says, and have it abundantly. Have you ever thought about that, that, that Jesus calls himself the door, and there's just one verse after calling himself the door, he shifts gears and he starts talking about having an abundant, meaningful life. He says, when you come to the door, Mark Jesus, not only can you exit a meaningless life, but number two, through Jesus, you can enter a meaningful life. Remember we said that there's only two things that we do with the door, right? We enter an area, we exit an area. So we can enter meaninglessness, and in the process, we enter a meaningful life. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief is, is all the wrong doors that you and I can walk through. Many times the wrong doors that we have walked through. If you walk through the wrong door of greed or of lust or of jealousy or of selfishness, what happens? It sucks the joy out of your life. It sucks the pleasure out of life. It, it makes you not want to get up 
in the morning. But when you enter into the door named Jesus Christ, you enter in a life that is far more than, than Rolexes or Beamers or one-night stands. You enter into a life of joy and peace and satisfaction you can't find anywhere else. Did you notice that Jesus made a difference between life and, and, and the abundant life? I like how the second half of verse 10 is phrased in the Living Bible. He says, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. In other words, he says, I'm not just here to give you life, but I want to give you a great life. I want to give you an abundant life. I'm not, I don't just want you to exist. I have something better for you than that. I love the movie Braveheart, and I love the character William Wallace, who, who the movie centers on, this, this great real-life hero in Scotland who helped bring freedom to his people. Well, William Wallace said this very famously. He said, every man dies, but not every man lives. You know what? Every one of us is going to die one day. How many of us are truly going to live? How many of us are going to discover that abundant life that God has for us? I heard once about a little boy whose daddy had just gone off to war. And as the, the little boy learned what happened at war and, and the dangers of what could happen to his daddy, he told his mom, I, I want to write a letter to dad. And so the mom gets him a, a piece of paper and a pen, and, and the boy writes this, a very simple letter. He says, Dear Daddy, I love you, and I hope that you live all of your life. What's the little boy trying to say? He's like, I, I hope you don't die before you're supposed to. I hope you get the, the long life that you're supposed to have. But I love the statement if you apply it differently. City Church. Christian, follower of Jesus, I hope so badly that you live all of your life. Not that you make it to, to, the, to the old age that one day you may dream of, but that you live the fullness, the abundance, the fulfillment, the peace that God has for you every day of your life. I hope that you live all of your life. The sad fact is that many people go through this life and they exist without ever truly living. Jesus didn't put you on this earth just to take up space, to, to live a few years and to die without any impact whatsoever. He puts you here to leave a legacy. He puts you here to impact eternity. He puts you here to discover fulfillment and peace that so many people never find. As a kid, one of my favorite authors was Jack London, who wrote The, the Call of the Wild and, and White Fang. He wrote these uh, famous books, these novels uh, about life in Alaska and, and the Canadian North, and I always thought they were fascinating as a kid. And Jack London made this statement. He lived a very, a very wild life, a crazy life. He, he sailed many places and, and it was an adventurer and did, he, did a ton of stuff. And here's what he said about life. He said, I would rather be ashes than dust. I had rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze, then it should be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy and permanent planet. The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Isn't that what you want for your life? Don't you want a life that, that burns in brilliance, that, that, that has a great existence? I believe that God has that kind of life available to us, but so many of us choose the familiar path. We choose the elevator doors. We choose what we already know rather than taking the risk and stepping out in faith and pursuing God's best for our lives. Far be it that that would be us. God forbid that that would be said of us, that we simply existed and never truly lived. When you surrender your life to Jesus and allow him to be the shepherd of your life, on a daily basis you, you come to the word of God and you feast on the bread of life. 
You follow his will for your life to, to pursue him and to follow him and to bring him glory. You continuously walk through the door of Jesus. You see, that's what it's about. It's not just a one-time decision that gives us eternal life, although that's very, very important. It's a daily opportunity to say, you know what, Jesus, I choose your door. I choose your best. I choose what you have for me and nothing less. There's one other door that I, that I do want to speak to you about that Jesus felt compelled to share with us. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus is talking about your heart and my heart, and he says this. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking at the door of your heart, at the door of mine. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. Jesus says that if you will open the door of your heart to him, he's going to open eternity to you. If you will open your life to him, he's going to open forever for you. I've walked through some important doors in my life. I've walked through doors of some magnificent buildings and museums. I've walked through governmental doors into mayor's offices and, and other places. I've walked into court, unfortunately, because of tickets I've had. I've, I've walked through some, some doors that were kind of a big deal. I've walked through the doors of Texas Day Brazil, praise Jesus. Walked through some important doors. I've never walked through a more important door than the door of Jesus. You'll never walk through a more important door than the door of Jesus. He says, if you'll open I'm going to come in. I'm going to eat with you. You're going to eat with me. We're going to do life together. You see, with Jesus, when we enter through his door, that's where we find peace. That's where we find security. That's where we find satisfaction and fulfillment. Would you pray with me today?